It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Filmy Box Radio Network. I'm your host, Kyle. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. If we sound a little different, it's because Matt and Daniel are actually in the studio at the moment, and I was not able to make it today, but we decided we'd call in and keep the show going, because you know what, guys? We have a very short time frame of hockey. There's a lot of hockey to be played, and this last two weeks of press hockey has been something else. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, not going to lie, with the compressed schedule, we kind of have to almost do like a weekly basis at this point. Uh, I think we're about at a week and a half right now on our current schedule, just trying to make everything work so we can get more episodes out. But hey, got to love the fact that we're able to watch hockey basically every single day. And it's like some days we've been up to 13 games. Yeah. I mean, 26 teams active at the same time. It's been pretty enjoyable to watch. It's it's been awesome. The other day, yeah, it was only like the seventh time in history they had thirteen games going at the same time. But the only problem with that's great. But the only problem with that is I can't watch all of them at once. So <laughs> if you could like stagger the games, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, instead of having eight teams or eight different games all going at six p.m., that would be great because it's really difficult to uh, sw- to switch around that way. Well, well, how dare they consider their local market? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I they know, need I to know. all cater to just our central time zone. Didn't you know that? Uh, <laughs> that's true. Know? But I mean, that said, though, yeah, it's been pretty interesting because we'd be in the, our little chat and we'll be like, oh, this game. And then all of a sudden, oh, this one's getting tight. So then we're we're flipping over to that one. So there's a lot of back and forth, but we're trying to catch literally as much hockey as possible. So. Yeah, the Preds actually played tonight. So this is Monday night. We're doing recording. It's 5.50 p.m. The Preds are going to be starting their game in 10 minutes. And Matt, before we get into the other games, I want to know, how many games have you watched simultaneously this year? You know, I've got one monitor. I don't have a multiple monitor situation going on. So I just will swap through. Usually, uh, once we get to intermission, I'll I'll swap. Or if I get really bored, if there was a blowout, like how the Oilers put up eight in uh, the first period against the Senators the other night, that's a blowout. I'll swap channels and go to, go to a different game. But uh, yeah, there's every single day I'm watching hockey. There's not been a day off for me. It's It's been great. I just sit up there. Like I told you, I got my exercise bike going, so I'm getting a little workout in. I've just been living it up. I feel like I can effectively like only watch two to three at a time because normally I'm like in between two, and then if one's boring, then I'm like, oh, I'm over here kind of like back and forth, and then... I think it also depends on the teams, too. Yeah. Like, if they're in the Central Division, then I'm more apt to watch yeah. it. And and kind of the problem is, if I got three or four games I want to watch, well, if you start watching, you know, 10 minutes of this one, then you swap over 10 minutes of that one, uh, before you know it, you kind of forget what the game was like, you know, 30 minutes later when you swap back over. It's almost more beneficial from a viewer standpoint just to be able to watch the full story of the game. Because if I watch it only in segments, it's kind of hard for me to piece together like the how the game flow is overall in general. So it's a little bit of give and take both ways. Yeah, that said, though, uh, Kyle, I I think we're going to start the show off with your boy from Washington who comes back off of COVID. And what does he do? What does he do, Kyle? Man, he ties Mike Gardner for the seventh overall NHL goal. He's got his 708th goal 
and he is gunning for number one. He is going to do it. Yeah, he literally comes back off of the COVID precaution, aka who knows if he had COVID or not, list. And then, of course, he scores. And, like, here's the deal. This man, even in a compressed season, who knows? Obviously, his rhythm is going to be a little off this year with, you know, everything going on. And, of course, missing the games. But if he can put up another 20 goals, 25 goals in this compressed season, I wouldn't put it past him. I, I mean, it's insane what he's still able to do. I, I mean, we're we're seeing history made almost every single night with him on the ice. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? Yeah, at this point, any anything he does, it's like a record here, a record there, because he's got so high up on the list that, you know, it's almost the Ovechkin show. We kind of tease in the notes every every game, every episode. It's he's broken other records. So, and uh, you know, we, we'll see later in the episode. Crosby is also uh, attacking a few off his list uh, this week as well. I think he is now third, I think, all time in overtime winners. I think he's had his 18th overtime winner the other night. So he's also uh, crossing a few off his list as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Ovi's about 30 goals away from Brent Hall. He's. He's almost he's almost in range fifty to fifty five from Yadimir Yager. Isn't that crazy to think that he's in that range now? Like he like we're talking top three all time goals, and then possibly p- passing Gordy Howe. <laughs> like yeah. some of these records, like it's mind boggling to think that they would get broken in today's league too. You know, and we've we've gone over this in great length before. Uh, he's a living legend. Uh, who knows how many years left he has in the tank but i will say this every year from now on i'm just going to enjoy it because you don't know how many he's going to have and basically every night's a record breaking it's like thornton too uh, every time he's out on the ice it's impressive and chara i mean psh. well what i weird seeing him in a caps jersey too yeah what i better not see is is ovechkin get traded his last year and play somewhere random that would uh that's going to be a barn burner if that ever happens but yeah like you said it is weird to see uh Chara in that uh, in the uniform with him, but uh, that's a friendly face. That's nice to see him on the squad too. So uh, Matt, you were talking about a uh, Crosby. So one thing I want to point out before we get to you know later on the show with your stuff that Crosby also did something really cool with Ovechkin and McDavid the other day, and they they all three scored overtime goals in twelve minutes of each other. When's the last time we've heard of something like that happening? Yeah, that uh, I was watching. I had to re. Uh, look at the notes uh when i saw that stat it was like crosby scores the overtime winner at 9:35 ovechkin uh scores it at 9:36 and then mcdavid uh scores it at 9:47 i thought it was 1 minute here 1 minute there and the next minute but it was actually about uh a few minutes after that but that that was wild i think i read that was the first time in history that uh, three different number 1 draft picks had overtime winners on the same day first time it's ever happened that's that was incredible that night was wild there were so many ot games going on at once like we kept flipping back and forth and yeah was there was at like, least five it, it was like five games in a row or something and man what a what a great night for hockey that i think that was the 13 game night and five of them went to ot in a row it might have so, been <laughs> just pure chaos happening right now but i think we would be remiss if we did not talk about a major blockbuster trade that happened and was it really a blockbuster trade well yes i'm gonna say yes i'm gonna say yes it's a blockbuster trade but i don't know who's getting the better bargain and we can kind of discuss that here in a second but it does directly affect us because the columbus blue jackets are now in our league so what actually went down kyle 
Well, what happened was the Jets ended up trading Patrick Laine to the Columbus Jackets for Pierre-Lou Dubois. So I don't know if it's a good trade or not, though. Really, I mean, I read about it, and I was like, this might be a good trade. <laughs> I think it was well documented that Tort had a kind of problem with uh, Dubois, um, as <laughs> Kyle would say. Um, but uh, yeah, it just... Oh, man, that last game, too, you could tell because he actually was sitting them uh, for great lengths of time. I don't even think he took a shift in that second period, was it? Well, well like, it's because the last shift he took him. was a disgrace, and he was going out there to be a jerk and, and play as, as bad as possible on purpose to make a statement. So, yeah, of course the coach is going to be pissed. Yeah, Tort had a very, um, well, spirited comment on the matter. It said... Um, have Luke and I had a conflict? And he was uh, saying, yes, <laughs> you're right. We have had a conflict. And that is the censored version for sure with him. He said, if someone doesn't want to be here, it's a hard thing for me to stomach, quite honestly. So, yeah. I mean, obviously falling out of favor with the coach is a big thing. I know Tort is a kind of a polarizing coach. He's very you know vocal, very straightforward. But it seemed like it was not working. It was not a good fit. He was not hustling. He was not doing what he needed to do. So they shipped him off for Line A, which I also find quite interesting because Line A's personality and all the interviews I've seen, he is very stoic. He's that, you know, traditional player. Like uh, he fit really well in the Canadian market. I'll put it like this. Now, coming to a Columbus Blue Jackets team with Torts. Do you honestly think that's going to be a good fit for him? Like as right. far as like the person, personality wise, I I mean I'm not going to lie. Line is a great pet player, uh, and honestly, looking at their metrics and their stats, both of them are very comparable. Like they're both great players in their own sense. But I don't know if each system is going to work, and I don't know if each team is going to work. Yeah. If that makes sense. So while you mentioned stats, let me go ahead and run some bias so we <clears throat> get some weight behind the discussion. So. Line and Pierre-Luc Dubois were both drafted top three. Uh, I forget which year it was, but they were uh, number two and number three that year. This is the, I believe it's the first time in 25 years that top three uh, players have been traded for each other. And what's interesting about it is Pierre-Luc Dubois did not play his first year. He spent a, a year in development as opposed to Line. But So when you compare the numbers, uh, Line has played more games, but if you put it on a points per game basis. Line is a 0.81 uh, points per game player and Pierre-Luc Dubois is 0.66 and that means that Line actually generates 22% more points per game than Dubois does. So what's interesting when you look at the trade from a just a trade standpoint, you know, Line is I guess is a better player. So to me it leaves me wondering why does Columbus also get Roslovic when Line is better to begin with. And really, Columbus is the team hurting for the trade because they had to ship uh, Dubois out. He was he needed out. It was a bad look for the team. So that Columbus needed that trade almost as as it was desperation. They had to get somebody out. So you would think when you're making uh, an immediate move, you don't get top dollar. But when you so when you look at the trade, they're trading him for Line. I would expect them to get not a top dollar trade back. I would expect them to get less than face value. So to me, Line is a better player. Plus, they get Roslick back, which is also uh, a center as well. So it kind of replaces uh, Dubois, who's a centerman himself. So to me, I just don't understand why 
Columbus seems to be getting the better end of the deal here. On paper, uh, it just seems like Columbus has got this one. Well, also, I, I mean, maybe was it a is it a cap space thing? Like, are they trying to position themselves later on? Because I, I get this. So Dubois is basically signed through next season for five million dollars. So Line A at the end of this season is a restricted free agent. So the cap oh, yeah. hits the cap hits are are comparable. You're talking about a four point nine, and obviously Line is going to command a higher payday. So I'm thinking it was more for that because the Jets were probably thinking, hey, we're going to lose him anyways. So let's get someone who's going to be here like another year longer. You know, he, he's still signed. And, you know, Line is going to ask probably for what? Eight mil? Eight, eight or nine? I, I, I would imagine that's what he's going to be going for. And, you know, honestly, it's going to be interesting. Even the Blue Jackets, there are just looking at their cap space right now, they only have 500,000 free cap space currently and then next season it, there's a lot of unrestricted free agents so they're going to have to figure that out fast like fast they only have Seth Jones locked in for one more additional year after this year and you know he's going to go for 8 mil so <sighs> the Jackets have a very short window I'll put it like that before they need to start re-signing people so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see but I feel like it was definitely more for cap spacing reasons and obviously for Dubois it would be for, you know, obviously falling out of favor from the coach. So Yeah, I kind of feel like Columbus is in the same category as Ottawa was a few years ago where everybody was leaving. It was just like a hole that nobody wanted to be in. Everybody wants out. For some reason, everybody wants out of Columbus. They've had a couple uh, of big names leave there in the last few years. It's like they can't keep players. I don't know if the market, they don't like, uh, you know, the Columbus area. Do they not like to play for torts? And I think really that's the biggest X factor in this trade is is how Line is going to respond to torts because he really hasn't had that kind of coach before and he rubs people the wrong way. And Line to me, you know, before I looked at the stats, I thought, oh, I like Dubois better than Line because if by the eye test the last two years, Line has looked really spotty to me, streaky. He's either scoring goals or he's not even on the ice. And so I thought. Oh, I like I like Luke Dubois more than Line, but the stats seem to still favor him. But I would say Line is a finisher. He finishes yeah. better. I, I guess just the question is: is how is that dynamic of him with Tortorella going to be? That's that's the real you know risk, I guess, to this trade. To, to go back to your point, I mean, you got to think about this. They traded for Matt Duchesne before the playoffs, and then Matt Duchesne shipped out the next year to, to the Preds. Yeah, I don't think uh, Line is going to stay with Columbus at all. I think once his season is done, I think he's going to go somewhere else. Well, and that goes back to the cap space thing. Will Columbus have enough space for that? I mean, looking forward, you know, they're obviously going to sign Seth Jones because he's a stud. I mean, like, they needed a defenseman, and that's where why we got Ryan Johansson. Like, that's, we had a, you know, excess of defensemen, so that's why he got shipped there. So, I, I don't really know. And here's the deal. Like, so Columbus is currently second in the standings in the Central, which is very deceiving, I might add, because they've played 10 games. There's only three teams that have played 10 games. That's Columbus, Chicago, and Detroit. And just going by point percentage, Columbus is only .55 as far as their point percentage. They've uh, played 10 games. They've won four, lost three, and then lost three in OT. So, so that like, here's the deal. Like, they are about middle of the road right now. And especially playing 10 games, too. Like, uh, uh, you know they're not going to be all the way at second in the Central right now. So maybe Line A provides that boost for them. But 
who knows? Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a growing pain for him. And we'll see what happens. But it does directly affect the Preds for sure because this, I mean, this Central has been way tighter than I thought it was going to be. And some teams have come out flying. So, and we'll get to some of the standings here in a minute. But we also have another resignation at a top spot, Kyle. And what happened over in Pittsburgh town? So Jim Rutherford just ups and resigns. And from what I can tell, I've been looking. I can't find anything. I don't know if you guys can it seems like everyone's being very closed lipped about why Rutherford resigned outside of personal reasons. And I'm just like, wow, we'd have never thought in a million years that Jim Rutherford of all people would resign. Yeah. The, the report only said personal reasons from what I've seen. And I, I mean, you don't want to assume anything, you know, and take anything out of context, but usually by today's standards, that's not a good sign, especially considering the, prolific career he's had there, the Stanley Cups that he's won with them. Like, do you honestly think that he was looking for an exit? No, not with that team because he's he's been treasured there. So Yeah, this team was basically his, I'm just going to stay here until I retire. It's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, when you win that many Cups in that period of time, you're like, you know, it, it, that's, not, that's not in question. So the fact that it was for personal reasons, hopefully it's not anything earth-shattering and hopefully it's not anything like um, like health-wise or, or with his family. So, I mean, who knows? I'm sure there will be more to come in the following months, but that was kind of a shock to everybody. And, I mean, there's a lot of Pittsburgh fans out there wondering how that happened and who's going to take the reins, too, to that kind of dynasty that he's built over there. You know, I mean, they have a winning culture. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare in the coming years. It's kind of unusual to get such a little information, and, and I really think that almost speaks to the amount of respect they have for him as a person, and it probably wasn't nothing you know, earth-shattering. It's probably not that big of a deal, and I think as a respect to him and the legacy he's led in Pittsburgh, I think all the reporters are going to let it be his personal thing, and they're not going to blow it out of proportion and blow him up. They're going to let him kind of coast on out into retirement. I am curious if uh, in the future we hear a little more about it. I am very curious. This seems like a very juicy tidbit I'd like to know more about, but I really don't see much coming from and just out of respect for him. And at least I, I kind of honor and think that that's very nice. You know, in a day of social media and stuff, everybody blowing things out of proportion, it's kind of nice to, it's kind of nice to know that there's a little bit of privacy that can still be had and a little bit of respect, uh, especially in, in our game. So that was nice. Yeah, and speaking of uh, black and gold, let's move on to the Preds taxi squad. So, Kyle, what does our current taxi squad consist of? Uh, let's see. Let me refresh the page. They've not changed in the last five minutes here. All right, so it looks like we've got uh, Ellie Tolvanen, Matthew Olivier, Casimir Kaskasu, Ben Harpour, and Michael McCarran. I literally just made that transition and segue just to hear you say all those names, so... But that said, uh, one person is obviously missing right now, and that would be young Tomasino got re-basically sent back down to Chicago. That seems weird for me to say. I'm normally saying Milwaukee, so I'm like, I'm reprogramming. Yeah, it's weird to hear them say uh, Chicago because, you know, with Milwaukee not being in it this season. But I think it was best that Tomasino went down to Chicago so that way he can play because, honestly, if you're on the taxi, taxi squad and you're not playing, you're just sitting there. Well, one of the telling factors I, I, I saw was Heinz was saying that basically the taxi squad is going to be very fluid this year, especially with the 
the NA, or the AHL situation that they have with not having a dedicated Milwaukee's team this year. Basically, all of the people that are sent down are kind of having to get split with the Hurricane squad. And, you know, in all fairness, like they have to mix those those teams up. But the problem is, too, even if they get sent down to the AHL, there's not even a guarantee at this point that they're playing. So it's it's a very tough decision. Um, I do like the current squad that we have, and I wish some of these people would play like Tolvanen. But at the same time, too, you can tell that the roster has been very fluid and I don't know. It's one of those things. It's very tough because you want to send him down to get the reps, but you're hoping he is getting the reps just with the, the space availability in the AHL. So hopefully he can get in for a couple games, get his footing again after taking a break from getting quarantined from team Canada and the world juniors. And then at some point I would love to see him come back up and basically take um, either McCarron or Harper's place uh, on that roster because right now I'd, I'm pretty sure they are not going to stay there permanently. Well, I will say one person I want to see play on this team because they're just kind of coasting on taxi squad is Tolvanen. Now, Matt, I know you're a big fan of him. I'm a fan of his. We've been waiting for three years to see this guy just really get out and tear it up in the NHL. But I feel like if he's just going to stay on the taxi squad, he needs to be just like Tomasino and go down to the NHL and play. Well, my whole thing is, too, right now, our power play is at 12%. And he is supposedly good at the power play, obviously. Like, we look at him, he's got a great shot. He was actually doing well in training camp with the power play. So why are we not pulling him up into our roster to at least put him on, like, squad two? You know what I mean? Like, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I just That doesn't make any sense to me. And especially know. since we're early in the season, now's the time to shake it up and, and try to find what meshes. Maybe it's, it's now the time to slot him in again and try it. Maybe it light a little fire, a little spark. Uh, you know, we've seen plenty of roster moves made already, and I think you should continue that streak and, and try to get something going here. Now's the time to do it as opposed to, uh, you know, screwing around for the next 10 or 15 games and, and la-la land, not know what you're doing, and, you know, now's the time to go ahead and get it done, probably. Yeah, and speaking of, like, the kind of start that we've had, I guess we can transition into where we think the Preds are at this year, because I think kind of our early sentiment was, ah, uh, like, it looked pretty good, and then, ah, uh, it looked pretty bad, and then we're kind of, like, wondering... Where are we at on this team? Like, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, they're a 500 team right now. Well, let me tell you where we're at, Daniel. Just as far as my perspective, you know, last episode, the first two or three games we saw from them, we were really liking them. You know, I was, we were all pretty high on them. It was kind of like when you buy, you go to the car lot, you buy a new car, you got the new car smell, you take it home, you drive it around, you like it. And then uh, a couple weeks later, the, the smell wears off and uh, you realize, man, this thing kind of stinks. It smells a little bit like a lemon. And uh, I think that's kind of the way we feel about the Predators right now. The last week and a half or so has been pretty dismal play. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the penalty kill, which is absolutely oh. abysmal. It's so abysmal oh. that it's 31st in the league below Detroit. It's at it uh, about 12%. percent three point six, baby, right behind Detroit yeah. with a gleaming 64.5. Yeah. That's right. So uh, that's pretty bad. I didn't. I think. Uh, oh, that's why the uh, the power play is at twelve. That's they're at twenty fifth in the league on that. So special, special teams. teams I think. Bad. I have a feeling this year we're going to be talking special teams. We're not going to be talking bottom pair of defensemen. We're going to be talking special teams. Well, well, to your point though, five on five, they've looked actually halfway solid. Like, would you? Yeah. Argue, like, argue that. Like, actually, five on five, we've looked good. We've generated a lot of shots. 
maybe not all the highest quality shots, but we are generating shots. Like we are getting to the net. But the funny part is, man, when we when we take a penalty, whew, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's it's rough. I mean, like Daniel, like you're saying, five v five, we've scored twelve goals, but we've given up eleven goals in the penalty kill alone. I mean, you just take a look, like Matt, what you were saying earlier. Columbus games are great. Carolina game, we're like, yeah, you know what? We we played well, but we lost, and we can take that loss. We can take that loss on the chin. And then we get down to Dallas, and, you know, on that Dallas game, I think Dallas had a couple things working in their favor already. It was their season opener. They had more rest, and they had more practice time. But, oh, my goodness, the special teams on the, on the Preds just fell apart. Yeah, I will say this, and it's funny because looking at the advanced stats for that game, Kyle, to back you up, Five on five and power play. Dallas was expected to score one point eight goals, and the Preds were supposed to score three goals. Well, we scored zero goals, and they scored eight goals. <laughs> so that was one of those games we got destroyed in special teams, like absolutely destroyed. Like it, it did not make any sense. Yeah, if you look at the second period of that game, that first game against Dallas, Joe Pavelski starts it off with a power play goal, then Radulov puts up two more. Uh, Gurnoff puts off one, and then we're on the power play of all things, and Lindell gets a shorthanded goal against us. We're like, oh, this is great. What else can go wrong? But Belfi gets his second goal in the third period, and then Kibirata gets a gets another power play goal. I mean, we literally sucked. Like, all I can think about is that gift. I think it's of Rob Schneider, who's like, great, we suck again, because that's all I thought about during this game. Yeah, and I don't know if it was if it was this game or a different one, but when we kind of recap, you know, what we've seen since the last episode, the one image I keep seeing is when Ryan Ellis had like an open net and he flubbed it and missed wide. And that's kind of how I feel like the Preds have been playing. Even on the couple chances where they can capitalize, it's just not been there for whatever reason. Yeah. So I just looked this up and you're not going to believe this. And this is very concerning if you're a Preds fan for the Central. So there are five teams ranked 14th and better on the power play, and they're all in our division. Oh, that's not good news. Tampa is 14. The Carolina Hurricanes are 11th. Chicago is 6th at 33%. Oh, wow. That's surprising. Florida Panthers, 36.8%. And then the Dallas Stars, 37.9%. How crazy is that? So... Man, and, penalty, uh, the penalty kill is... We got, we got to figure out something on that quick. Like, I don't know if it's putting Yossi in on the penalty kill because I noticed that he was not on the penalty kill. So if that means putting him on the penalty kill and decreasing a little bit of his ice time, I might be for it because we're getting crushed on the penalty kill. And, you know, another aspect, we've mentioned it, you know, in years past, the Predators seem to have like a one-period effort where they just go all out for maybe two periods, but then they fall back and they really get bit on one period. And this year might be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy so far, but I know it took at least five games in before they uh, were the first team to score. I know it was at least five. I don't remember exactly how many went by, but they were consistently not getting on the board first, which put them behind first. And then... Uh, seven out of the ten goals that they've had so far as of a couple of days ago were were in the third period. So, you know, more than 70% of their goals all coming at the very end and you're sitting the whole game down. You know, when you put a team on their heels like this and they're behind the eight ball the whole game, it's really tough to dig yourself out of a hole 
once you've, you know, you, it's too far gone. You're, you're too far in the hole to pull yourself out. You got to get on the ball early. And that's something they really have to figure out how to do in order to be successful. So one thing that I do have to point out, obviously season's really young. We've only played eight games. Okay. Let, let's be honest. We're four and four. And we're basically where we thought. I mean, kind of, you know, we were saying, what, fifth in the league, fourth, maybe best. Yeah. So looking at some of the teams that haven't played as much, well, obviously, <laughs> who, who would have thought Florida would be basically undefeated in regulation at this point? Not yeah. me. Um, Nobody. The, the, the stars have come out blazing hot. And I'll put it like this. Okay. Riddle me this, Matt. What do we have in common with these losses? Like, we're saying these were obviously bad losses because, you know, we got L's hung on us. But let's look at the teams that did it. So three out of our four losses were against Stanley Cup final teams. That's a good point. And the only other loss was against the Hurricanes, and they're currently 5-1. and one. That's a pretty good point, actually. So it's one of those things. We've been competing well. I mean, obviously, the Dallas game was a dumpster fire. Like, you know, you just throw that one out. Stats, just throw them out the window. You know, it, it just did not go well. But at the same time, like, it, it's kind of like we're on this, like, back and forth. Like, we don't know who this team is, really, because, like, we're trying to gauge it. But get this. So we, we face Tampa again tonight. We face Florida two more times, which they're, like, blazing hot and having lost in regulation. And then guess what our next two games after that? Tampa twice again. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you kidding? Brutal. Brutal schedule right now. I mean, absolutely brutal schedule. Like, just going off of current standings. Like, normally Florida would be like, okay, well, we should win those. Well, right now they're coming out hot. So I'm not giving them those either. But three out of our four losses were against Stanley Cup final teams. And the other one is against a five and one team right now, Carolina, who's smoking hot. So yeah, that, th- that's one of those things. It's like, it's so hard to gauge them right now because the other night, like, they took so many penalties and they dug themselves in a hole in the Lightning game. And then somehow yeah. they came back to three to four and almost tied it up in the end. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's, that's so all, frustrating. That's also been a theme I've seen. As soon as we go on the power play, take a penalty and immediately negate any type of advantage you did have. And I think that's kind of the tough part is these losses. Well, they're okay. They were good teams. So a good team should outplay you. But it's kind of hard to separate. Okay, did we play bad or did that team just play really well and exploit any weaknesses that you had that weren't necessarily your fault? I think that's the tough part, and especially on specialty teams, if you have a bad specialty teams effort, a good offensive power play team, like you said, most of the central is, is going to find exploitations in that, and that's enough that one goal on the power play, two goals on the power play a game, that's enough to lose the game right there, even if you play good five on five. So, unfortunately, yeah, that's it seems to be the hand that's dealt to us, hot power play teams, that seems to be... Uh, the hemorrhage that needs to stop for the Predators is finding a way to gap up that uh, PK unit. Well, I think right now Dan Lambert is in charge of that, and I have not seen this getting any better since he's taken over. So, honestly, at some point, I feel like he has got to be on the hot seat because, I mean, you we can't have literally one of the worst power plays and literally one of the worst PKs. Like, you're not... Like, all we need is average. That Like, that's the funny part is... All we need is average because the five on five has actually been looking fairly good. Like our five on five play has been very competitive. I feel like they're tough in the boards. Like they've been getting to the spots. The first period of the Tampa game, did you watch that one? Oh yeah. I thought that was a great period, despite like Tampa was getting all these you know chances early on, but then they they cracked down and it was like there were hardly any shots. I think it, by the end of the period it was like eight six shots on goal, and then we ended up getting a power play goal. Uh, yeah, it was a power play goal, was it not? 
I think so. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but that said, it's like, man, like that's that that's the type of period that we need to play in all three. But then the wheels fall off in the second, and it was just like, once again, it's the self downward spiral, and then we take another penalty, and then another penalty, and the next thing you know, Stamkos is out there rattling them, literally upper ninety, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that, that's what see that's this is my problem too. Good teams do that. Like they they execute and they were able to do that and that's the thing with the predators. I feel like they're just kind of middle of the road. They show us spurts of greatness and then they're like, eh, in the Dallas game. So it's kind of like. <sighs> but here's the question. So as you said, Daniel, we've had more than our fair share of special team coaches. I mean, is it at this point, is it a mentality that they're fighting against? Is it they just can't find the right coach? Because I think with at least two to three different special team coaches, you should be able to fix this. At what point do you start looking at the individual players and you start kind of wondering, are you guys not playing together as a team or is it or is it four guys trying to have individual efforts to beat the opponent's power player rather than playing as an actual penalty kill team? I, I don't know. And it's so hard to say at this point because then a lot of people were like, you know, when we were doing this podcast last time, we were like, oh, it's Lavi's system. Well, it doesn't look like it's Lavi's system because Lavi goes to Washington and Lavi's killing it. So it's like, I, 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 I really don't know at this point. It's kind of like at a loss. It's like, we've been through multiple special teams coaches. So it's like, have we not found the right one yet? Like, is their strategy the one that's not clicking well with our team? Like, I don't know. And here's the deal. We've blown up the team now. <laughs> so yeah. you, so you, can't, you can't blame it on the players at this point because we have almost a brand new roster this year. So uh, maybe it's the growing pains, obviously, because we are still learning the new system. You have to think Hines took over later in the year last year. It, he hasn't even had a full season yet. And this season is not even a full season because they've compressed it. So literally last season and this season might make one season for, for Coach Hines at this point. But I, I don't know. Like It's one of those things I feel like I'm going to need... I need another five to six games to kind of get a handle on this team, honestly. Yeah. And and that said, too, with the schedule being what it is, I, I mean, it's it's bad at this point. I mean, we're facing the Lightning again tonight. We're now losing one to zero because they just scored. But it, it, it's one of those things. It's Lightning, Florida, Florida, Lightning... I mean, this is going to be a brutal schedule for us. Brutal. Well, you know, it is still early. It feels like we're being a little doom and gloom here. It's, it is still early in the season. And I guess the kind of silver lining is what I would like to see, hopefully, you know, okay, we've, we kind of figured it out. Our, our power play is garbage. It's been garbage for a few years. We've known that. Well, okay, this year, the big issue might be the penalty kill. What I would like is just to have consistent, some little bit of consistency in our results. Is it, uh, you know, we have a low first period effort. Are we uh, are we down on the penalty kill? If once you can find some type of consistency in the identity of the team or the flow, how the plays are drawn up, maybe the zone entry this way isn't working, maybe the breakout pattern is not working. Once you can find some kind of consistency, then you can start to fine tune and figure out a way to fix it. Once you have correctly been able to identify the problem, so hopefully we're being able to see a trend in some direction, so we know you know where to fix it going forward in the future. I think shot quality is something we have yet to, because I think we're ranked 30th in shot quality. Oh, yeah? As far as, like, we're getting the quantity, but just not the best looks. And then we're not finishing. Obviously, we have had some unfortunate luck. There's been a lot of dings early in the season. Okay, whatever. Like, those, <laughs> you know, we're not even counting those. But once again, it, it 
if you look at the the goals for and against per period, obviously our third periods have been incredible. Like the other day, lightning, we start coming back. Like we've been killing on the third period. The second period, abysmal. We have had four goals for, 12 goals against in the second period. 12 goals against in the second period. And let me, don't even get started on this first period stat. We've only had two goals in the first period this season. That's got to change. Because kind of like to your point is once you get in that hole, it's hard to get back out. And then you take one more penalty and it all derails because we are literally the worst penalty. Like literally 63%. I mean, they're scoring on us like 34% of the time. That is not good. That means if they take three penalties in the game, one is going in. And, and that's something, you know, we haven't even mentioned Rene or Saros. That's something you really can't blame them for. If your system as a whole on the PK unit is bad, I mean, it's not something you can hang on your netminder and say, well, he's, he's old or he needs to get better. That's just, it's a different story. Well, Saros has still got a .918. Oh, really? That's still, yeah, still but, pretty good. But that's because they've been putting up tons of shots and he's been stopping them. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, Rene's is bad because of the, you know, well, actually, Saros and Rene's are bad because of the Stars game because <laughs> they kind of lowered the average down a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, like, man, like, y- you got to sit there thinking, like, these goalies are getting hung out to dry because you're sh- you're so down. Like, I will give it the other night, the Tampa game, they were very tic-tac-y. Like, both teams were kind of frustrated with the refs. I, and uh, I don't know if anyone saw that game. Like, it was very, like, minute holds were getting called. I mean, like, both sides were very upset. They were kind of like, just let them play five on five. I mean, come on, guys. Like, seriously. And, uh, you know, sidebar, I have noticed the refs. That's been a theme across the league so far. They are getting called on like little chintzy calls. And I think they're just trying to send a message uh, to start their season early, how we're going to call it this year. They're trying to crack down a little bit early to try to get players in the mindset of what we're going to let fly this year. Because, you know, as you know, the league as a whole has been cracking down the last few years on these on these major contact uh, contact hits and stuff. So they're trying to set the tone early that we're going to crack down a little bit this year. That's why you're seeing these small, even small things like holding and, you know, maybe tripping. But uh, that's that's interesting. I've noticed that so far. Now, one thing I want to interject in here really quick is, you know, Daniel, you were talking earlier that, you know, the Preds have only had two goals for in the first period. If you go to the second period, they've only had four goals in the second period. That's the only games they played so far. And I also wonder how much that is attributed to the lack of offense this team has had over the eight games. Now, of course, they're playing Tampa tonight. They're already down a goal. But if you look at the Preds roster, the guy who is killing it, and you know, you don't need a genius to figure this out, but Philip Swartzberg is just killing this team with the offense. He is doing great. He's got four goals, two assists for six points, and nobody else has that many goals. So what needs to be done to get the offense of this team going? So I'm I'm kind of glad you said that, Kyle, because that kind of leads me to my other point is, like, what line combinations are we liking right now? Like, like at what point are we saying, mm, we need to kind of look at this and reevaluate it? I mean, obviously the Jofa line is going to be the number one line regardless. They're the one that's generating the most offense because you're right behind Forsberg. you got Arvidsson with six points of... So two goals and four assists and Joey sitting there with three assists. So that top line's doing great. But once you get past that top line, then it's kind of iffy. And I think a lot of it actually has something to do with the fact that we got a taxi squad and you're seeing different players inserted and removed back and forth and all what needs to be done for that night. Yes. There's no consistency. So to piggyback off that, so the Preds actually changed their lineup tonight. 
So I'm interested to see how this goes. So this is just fresh off the press, obviously, because we're you know recording and it's been hard to follow and also record. So the top line tonight is Cousins, Johansson, Arvidsson. Really? The second line is Forsberg, Duchesne, Granlin, which actually has shown really good signs as being our most productive line, which yeah, I'm very interested to see. Third line, Trennan, Sissons, and Tolvanen. Tolvanen, go, Tolvanen is on the power play unit tonight. Let's second go. power play. So Matt's already flipping out over here. So Grimaldi, Hala, and uh, Olivier for the bottom pair, or the bottom line. So I- I'm kind of liking that. I mean... You know, we'll, we'll see how that, and Cal Yonkrock is on the IR still, by the way, for people that have been missing him. So uh, that is a household name that has been obviously absent. But that said, I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll see. Luke Cunning had a lower body in, injury and Brad Richardson had an upper body in, injury. So that's why they were out tonight. So that's why Rocco and Tolvanen got slotted in. I really hope Tolvanen comes out with vengeance. I hope he scores on the power play. That would be literally flipping incredible, like if we could get on the board. Um, but that said, like I, I think that second line I, was kind of one that I wanted to see. Uh, Forsberg, Duchesne, Granlin. Granlin has looked great, by the way, after coming over. I'm just saying he's been flying everywhere. He's been very noticeable on the ice. Um, so him and Duchesne seem to have clicked fairly well. So... I'm interested to see this combo tonight. I mean, this is against, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup champions. So if this line combination works, I could see them rolling with it the next game, kind of just to see, you know, where we're at. But I, I definitely am ready to uh, to see this power power play unit tonight. I will say, I'll throw a little shout out to uh, a new team member here, Mark Burrowick. Mark Burrowicki. It's kind of a difficult name to say. Even the Burrow Cop, baby. But uh, I've actually been enjoying what I've seen for him so far. I don't know what he's got stat-wise, but what I've seen from him is he is a big guy and he parks his butt in front of the net and gets down low and dirty. I know he's a defenseman, but he plays that gritty, rough, tough man. He he adds some depth there. And uh, I really like that. seems to be something we've been missing the last couple of years. I know we had a guy slotted in and out. You had Simmons in there. You had uh, Scotty Hartnell. Had a little bit of that grit. Cody McLeod, baby. Yeah, you had Cody McLeod. The the Highlander. But that seems to be, honestly, anytime that piece of the puzzle has been on the Preds roster, it added an extra component. And uh, I really think the closest thing we've had to it really is RV just screening and hopping over the front of the net is as close to anything as you've had recently in that area. So adding Barawaki to come in there and mix things up, add a add a strong man body to the roster. I really like what I've seen uh, so far. I've been noticing. I was like, oh man, who is that guy that just got hammered on ice? Who's that guy that's just uh, four checking and boxing out really good? And that's this Barawaki guy. I really like that so far. He even dropped the gloves against Maroon the other night after we were getting crushed four yeah. one. And by the way, that energized the team, and we ended up scoring two more goals in the yeah. third period. So he he's definitely like the energizer. He's he's yeah. ready to get going. He's the enforcer. Um, he's got no teeth. He looks great. Oh, he he a... just he just looks like that straight up hockey enforcer player, and uh, apparently a really good guy too. From what we've heard, when he was coming over here, he does a lot of charity work, and uh, apparently like they call him the borough cop because like he ended up like saving someone like on the streets one day, like somebody was stealing somebody's purse or something. I don't know. It was a great story. I'll have to look it up, but uh class act and he's literally an enforcer on and off the ice so it's 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 pretty awesome to see him uh basically come in and really help us out the gate so another question i want to ask guys if the preds do not pick up and get above 
a 500 hockey because, you know, currently tonight as they play Tampa, they are a 500 hockey club. If we continue this trend of, you know, win one here, lose three here, win two, lose four, or if our special teams just seem to not be getting any sort of grip, do you think David Paul is going to pull the trigger and send some players somewhere else early on? I don't know what else he can pull the trigger on at this point. Like, I mean, he already blew it up. We already have cap space. It's not like, <laughs> like at this point, it's just called like blowing up our current roster and then injecting all of our young players to give them a shot. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing Pitlick called back up too because I thought he had a shot at making the team. But uh, I, I don't know at this point. This it's not looking too well as far like, and I, we don't want to be doom and gloom. Obviously, I I painted the other picture too with. You know, our losses being against quality teams. They have all been against quality teams. But the problem is, too, all these quality teams, we're going to play them a whole lot of quality times in this yeah. current in this, in this this current format. So, it, it, Matt, like Matt said, they're all great power play and they're going to exploit us. So, we're going to have to figure out special teams really quick. I, I will say, as far as, <clears throat> as far as roster moves, like you said... Poyle already blew it up in the offseason. We have enough new roster pieces to try to make some effect, some real change. Uh, the only problem is, is, is the waiting period. You're in that tough, growing pains. You've got the new roster. You haven't quite had time to gel yet. You've also got the new coach. You've got new systems. So really, you're in that awkward, growing pain of trying to figure out where this team is headed. And that's all I said. This year is going to be a really telltale year for the Predators as far as if they can, how fast they can pull it together. And, and into what success they can. But I think you're going to see a little bit of an awkward period here where they're trying to figure it out, honestly. Yeah, and just to give a quick update, right now it's currently 2-0 Lightning going into the second period. So we're at the first period intermission. Not a good start, once again, for the Predators in that first period. So maybe they can pull it out, but... Man, they're getting hosed right now. And it honestly, like it's crazy looking at the plus minus, it was actually the top lines that are are posting the negatives right now. So you have yeah, your you really can't trust plus minuses, you know that. I know, but I'm just saying it's just pretty crazy right now how where we're at as far as this team. Like we can't really trust anything. So um yeah, we'll we'll see. It looks like it could be a long night for the Preds facing the Defending champs again, so who they're gonna have to recover quickly because this schedule is not getting any easier. At least the one saving grace is that the two goals scored against us were not on their power play, so we got that going for us. Yeah, the first one I actually just looked at it. It looked like a really nice like backhand, and it was kind of a broken down play. Uh, it looks like no one's boxed out, so shocker. Um, so we'll we'll see. We shall see, but uh. It, with certain teams coming out as hot as they are, so let, let's look at like Florida, for instance. They're 5 0 and 1. 5 0 and 1, Florida, okay? Carolina is 5 and 1. Dallas is 4 and 1 and 1, okay? This is insane. Like, these teams are smoking hot right now. Like, they're all posting above uh, a Point seven five win percentage. Okay, Florida is a point nine one seven. Do we think that's going to continue throughout the season? No, like no. But the problem is though, with the Preds starting out as a five hundred team, and then these other teams starting off really hot, is we're digging ourselves a hole already. So 
where are we thinking the Preds end up now, just based on eight games? And also taking into fact that these other teams have played less games because of COVID. Most of them have played six instead of eight or ten. Um, like I was saying earlier with Columbus, who is currently second in the standings. So what do we think? Are we about where we're at? I mean, like for me, it's I'm kind of like, eh, we're fifth again. Like we're still fifth. Like, yeah, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't see it getting any better. Now, the fact that Florida's doing better, mm, that's interesting. Um, don't know if that's going to carry on over, but you know. Yeah, I think we haven't really seen anything really eye-catching with the Predators, either either up or down. It's kind of about what you expected, about 50-50. I think the more unusual aspect is how well the other teams in the division are doing. I don't think that's going to last at all, I mean, and honestly. And you, you're probably going to see the Predators start to pull it together. But I feel about the way I did at the, at the start. I still like the roster selection uh, to the start compared to the last year. So uh, I'm still you know, slightly optimistic here. I think it's all right. I think the team's going to be probably where I said they were going to be as well. I mean, I agree with Matt. I think they can dig themselves out of this hole. And I don't think Florida, even though you've got the, uh, you got Coach Q as your coach, and I kind of think that's maybe pushing their success a little early on. He's got a new, whole new system tried out for them. But, I mean, if they can get back to where I said they were going to be at in the last episode, great. But if they don't, I mean, dang, I could possibly see Detroit beating them which I know would be shocking, but you look at it right now, well, Nashville's ranked 7th in the Central with Detroit at 8th, and it's only two points separating them. So what happens when Detroit uh, leapfrogs over Nashville and Nashville's at the bottom 7th? Yeah, but Detroit's also played two more games and they're at .3 win percentage. So I think, they're, I think they'll average out still pretty, pretty Even low. Even though my boy Jimmy Howard retired the other day after, I think it was 14 years. I think he played his entire career with Detroit, so uh, it's kind of sad to get traded. Kind did of, not get traded. What? Did not get traded. Oh, oh yeah. That that was good news, at least. Uh, he did not spend his last year somewhere else. It was nice to see him retire as a Red Wing. It's kind of sad to see him go, but uh, that's all right. These things happen. So, happy retirement, Jimmy. And Matt, since we're already talking about Detroit and the fact that Jimmy Howard got to retire, that makes me ask you, do we have any other stats or news of noteworthy that we haven't talked about yet before we close the episode down? Yeah, I got a few uh, last items here I'll mention. Speaking of uh, Nashville, did you know that uh, New Jersey Devil rookie Ty Smith, he's a defenseman now, he started his career the first five games on a five-game point streak, matching uh, Kale McCarr's mark from last year. And in history, there's only been one rookie defenseman to have a longer streak to start his career. And it just so happens to be a name everybody's not familiar with, Merrick Zidlicki from Nashville in 2003. The number one defenseman point street getter, apparently, was from some random kid from Nashville that uh, we don't really remember. I always thought that was pretty funny. And it just so happens to be uh, a week or two ago, it was uh, Connor McDavid's birthday, his 24th birthday. And at this time, by his 24th birthday, he has amassed 469 points by that time. And since we always want to compare him to uh, Wayne Gretzky and how he was doing, at Wayne Gretzky's birthday, uh, he didn't have 469 points. Gretzky had 1,050 points by his 24th birthday, having, having more than double uh, the points that McDavid had by that mark. So I think that's pretty interesting. I know that was a different era and all that, but stats are stats, and uh, we love those kind of comparisons. And I'm going to have to give a, a hat tip to my boy, Brad Marchand. 
He had his 28th shorty the other night. He leads all active players in shorthanded goals. And Kyle, I'm going to end it with fan favorite. Today happens to be the five-year anniversary of John Scott being named captain of the All-Star Game, baby. <laughs> that would seems yes. to be probably the greatest prank ever pulled in NHL history was a bunch of fans got together and picked like one of the worst hockey players ever uh, to be team captain for the All-Star Game. But it was one of the best things ever. He was so happy. I remember that. He was just so happy. Yeah, the, the whole arena was just cheering him on. It was such a great look. But Matt, I have one more stat for you. Just just a random one, just for Matt. So Leon Drysaddle and Connor McDavid have 43 points combined in 11 games. Yes. Do you know what the record is? Yeah, tell Five me. Five and six. <laughs> yes. They, I... they, are, they are worse than the Preds right now. Yeah. <laughs> They they have a .455 win percentage, and they have 43 points with two players. Yeah. That blows my mind. They have no defense. They have no defense at all. Well, you like, wouldn't think you'd need it if you can pop up eight goals in one period, and they're but they're still less than this, 500, bro. They're less than 500, and their plus minus, their differential is a minus three. They are yeah, still minus three. And now I'm like, oh. I'm like, he's got 40, they have 43 points combined. Yeah, like at some point you'd be like, you know what? Let's just get these players ship out everybody else except Drysaddle and McDavid, and let's get some quality defenders in here and a good goalie, and we're good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like it's rough. I say McDavid needs to go somewhere else because it's going to be you know 15 years before uh, they're doing anything. I would love. I've heard somebody the other day said they think uh, Edmonton's going to make the playoffs this year. I would love to see it. I'm not holding my breath for that, but uh, I, just for McDavid, McDavid's sake, I would love to see it. But uh, not not looking so promising currently, despite their great effort. You gave up on that dream a long time ago. Yes. Oh, and just a quick update. The Lightning actually ended up scoring one more goal in the first period with one second left. Good, good. So, great start, 3-0. This is fine, this is fine. Mark that into the L column. Well, we'll see. I mean, once again, we we don't hit our stride until the third period, baby, and you know that, so. Well, Daniel, what games do we have coming up before our next episode? Well, depending on our next episode, um, if I'm going two weeks out, the schedule is going to get brutal. So, we have... Florida and Florida Panthers, <laughs> Thursday and Friday. And then Monday and Tuesday of next week is Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay. So all teams like well above the 750 mark. Then finally, we get a reprieve on Thursday and Saturday with Detroit, followed by Dallas and Dallas back to back on Monday and Tuesday. And by then, we should have recorded. And by then, our win could be really bad. Like our win percentage could be even worse at this point because. Schedule is brutal the first half of this month. I'm just going to put it like that. Well, if we don't pick it up soon, I guess we'll just throw our predictions in the trash. You just watch the entire city of Nashville burn the breads down. Yeah, I don't think we'll get to that point. There's so many loyal fans, but at the same time, it's it's difficult to see the team struggle. Um, we kind of knew the growing pains were going to get there with uh, with a new coach and all. So uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to dig out of this one, though. Well said, Daniel. And guys, that's the episode for today. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you want to catch more of our episodes, you can find them on iTunes at Music City Gold, TonyBoxRadio.com, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, we will see you on the ice. 
You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.